Wilson, like a cork in the ocean over his head. Marking contest over the top, Subic's great grab. Across the ground, bam, in comes Donny Wurzlow. Inside 50, McGovern, McGovern, what a play. Sheik needs to be in perfect years. The Eagle has landed for the Premiers in 2018. G'day everyone, welcome to the West Coast Eagles Big Footy Podcast for another week. Coming up on this week's episode, we'll break down a disappointing result against Richmond. We'll talk waffle, injuries, sacked coaches and news plus a preview of the last home-and-away game of the season and how each result may impact West Coast's final ladder position. I'm your host, Honey Badger 35 and I am joined this week by Miguel Sanchez. How are you? I'm good. I'm extremely nervous for the week coming up. Um, yeah, a lot at stake this week. It's really fun when three or four months of interest and fanaticism and reading every article and waiting on every result and every goal, every moment of play... And it just comes down to one bloody weekend anyway. So that's going to be just nervous as hell this weekend. Also joining us this week on the show is Keys. How are you? Yeah, yeah, good. Uh, it would have been better if we um, had a good over the line on, on Sunday, but it wasn't to be. Probably the best game of the season. But yeah, unfortunately, we're on the wrong side of it this time around. Yeah, that's a very valid point, and it, it will lead us directly into our Richmond coverage, so we might as well just dive straight into that, because it was clearly the biggest game of the week, and possibly even the season. So let's jump in. West Coast Eagles, 13 goals, 4-82, were defeated by Richmond, 13 goals, 10-88. Uh, it was being touted as a potential grand final preview, and, and in terms of a neutral viewer, I'm sure you wouldn't have been disappointed. Like Keyes said, a phenomenal game. But unfortunately for the Eagles, we were on the wrong side of it. And despite a real early onslaught, I suppose, from that West Coast Eagles high possession, short kick mark game style, we looked to be really on in the opening periods, but then faded late and unfortunately came up a little bit short, Miguel. So what was your take on the game? Yeah, it was a, um, as you said, it was a really great quarter, um, the first quarter, and uh, it looked like we were just going to run away with it. And then from quarter time onwards, it was yeah, basically all Richmond. Um, they had the game completely on their terms. They had us pegged back inside our defensive 50, um, particularly the second and third quarters. The ball never seemed to get out of there. So I, I think disappointing to lose the to. Um, drop the game, miss out on the points, and really it's going to make it get into the permutations and everything, but it's going to make it really, really difficult to get a top two spot now. It's going to make the finals campaign that little bit more difficult. But overall, I think we can take some positives out of the game. You know, the fact that Richmond did dominate us for long periods and um, we had a few guys who were well down on form um, we lost Hutchings, which you know, robbed us of a runner and a rotation in a game that was a real grind. Uh, and you could see in that last five minutes, a lot of the guys were just out of their legs. Uh, and despite all that, we only went down by a kick. So, yeah, fair bit to like out of that. But um, certainly a lot to work on as well, which I think we'll get to. Yeah, that's the interesting takeaway from me. And it's been... A frustrating week, as it often is on the Eagles' board uh, after a loss, because it certainly was a frustrating loss. But if you can in any way separate the result, I know that's not easy, but if you could separate the result from the game, 
I think there is a little bit to be encouraged by there. Like you said, a man down on the bench. Uh, the conditions really suited Richmond. Now you can't control the conditions and you have to be able to play in anything. So that's maybe not a fair statement long term. But for me, I thought the first quarter, super encouraging. We were down a man on the bench and we hung tough. Even when Richmond broke open a late lead, I thought, okay, well, this is going to be a 30 goal, uh, sorry, a 30 point loss. But the Eagles bounced back. You know, we got those last couple of goals tied to the game. We got the clearance when the game was tied to go inside 51st. So there was some stuff there that the Eagles could hang their hat on. But ultimately, Keys, look, we let the points slip. And as Miguel just touched on, that's going to have huge ramifications for the finals chase for the Eagles. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways the game was a bit of a microcosm of our season. I think when when we when we've been good, we've been outstanding. I think that first quarter we really smacked Richmond in the mouth. And I think I firmly believe that our best is better than anybody else's when we can when we can play like that. I think we're better than anyone else in the comp. The the problem we've had and we've had it wasn't just that game, it's been ongoing throughout the season, is sustaining that level of of excellence. We we've we've always been able to do it in burst, but we've not sustained it. I think you know, the second and third quarters we um we fell away and, and, and Richmond probably you know, were they were out there swarming, pressuring best in those quarters and and suffocated the life out of us and we just as Miguel said, uh we just we just we just locked pinned down in that inside 50, in our defensive 50. But then the encouraging thing was, despite all that, at the end, we were able to we were able to pick ourselves up off the canvas and, and really fight back and give ourselves right back in the game and, and fight it out. So, you know, and with that, with a man down and things like that, I think we'll, you know, sometimes your losses are hard to take, but I think you often learn more from losses than you do from your wins and I think we'll we'll go back and review that. There's some some uh, some clear mistakes that we made, particularly in in our back half, uh, and unfortunately Barras in particular made a couple of absolute howlers. You know that was brought about by Richmond's pressure was really good. So you know a couple of the ones that Barras made seemed like they were unforced, but really that you know there was a lot of referred inferred pressure and thing and. I think the other thing was, for reasons better known to Simpson, we just um, we seem to be prepared to let Grimes just sit back in goalkeeper mode, and it really hurt our movement out of between the arcs, and we, you know, we were just getting our forwards pushed too far up the ground, um, so that you know when we did get clear, it was just it was just coming straight back in. So yeah, bit to take away. I, I think out of if you compare that to, say, the losses against Geelong and Brisbane earlier in the year, you look at that and you think, well, yeah, we played one of, if not the best team in the in the comp and were competitive and held our own. So, you know, on another day, you, you know, we maybe get them. On another day, we might lose by four or five goals. But going into the game, you're sort of interested to see where we sat in the overall scheme of things. And I think from that game, you can you can draw the conclusion that uh, yeah, we're balls deep in this. We're not that far out of it. Yeah, not at all. I said on the board uh, after the loss that you look for things that are replicatable and things that you can sort of project that will happen again or seem likely to happen again come finals time. And for me, the things out of that game that you can pencil in, well, one, 
It was confirmed to us that Richmond's frenetic, all-encompassing waves of pressure, that still is there, which I don't think we needed confirming, but that is still there and that can still mess up the best of sides. So we saw that and fair enough. If we run into them again, we have to expect that. The other thing was that, you know, our game style very clearly works against Richmond when we're able to execute it. So then it becomes that chess match of how do you stave off the pressure so we can execute our game style. But encouraging signs there. Their game style sort of messes us up. Our game style sort of messes them up. It's it's an interesting battle there. But then the things that come out of that game that weren't or you wouldn't expect to be replicated. Well, number one, if we're being honest, our goal kicking was remarkably accurate. 13 goals, four. Perhaps on another day, you know, that turns into a 10-7 and it's a very different looking game. So maybe the goal kicking slides away a little bit, but is that countered by keys, like you said, these Tom Barras mistakes that, okay, there might have been the pressure there, but for defenders, they have an inbuilt pressure reliever, and that is run the ball over the line and, and rush it behind and then just kick the ball back in. Barras was very unwilling to do that a few times. I wonder if it's a holdoff from the Hearn deliberate the previous week, but going into finals, I think he will have it drilled into him what he can and can't do on the goal line now that he's had quite a poor day at the office in that regard. So I don't expect those mistakes to creep in. Shuey, I'm looking at the possession count, 25 disposals. But I'll tell you what, I don't remember a lot that he did other than get taken high a few times. His his disposal was, I meant to look up his disposal efficiency because it seemed like he was just butchering the ball every time, which is very unlike him. Speaking of, Shannon Hearn, another one. Great user of the footy and just some really questionable decisions or poorly executed kicks. That I wouldn't expect to be replicated again. Uh, Kennedy, we've talked about a little bit. Maybe he's coming off the boil you know, maybe he's in a down patch or maybe this is truly the career trajectory and this is just the way it's going. But Kennedy was truly awful. Uh, as a, you know, as we've said, Hutchings was, you know, off for a little bit as well. So we're a man down. There's a few things in this game that I think are very unlikely to happen again should these teams meet. What are your thoughts, Miguel? I thought Kennedy actually played all right. I know he didn't hit the scoreboard until late, but his sort of his second efforts and his putting pressure on when he didn't have the ball. Um, was sort of back to normal. I thought um, he did have five tackles. He put a lot of um, put a lot of hard work in. He uh, he took a few marks, which he hadn't done the week before, uh, in conditions, particularly in the second half, that sort of weren't weren't great for a bloke his size. So yeah, I don't I don't know. I I'm not on the board, obviously, so I haven't seen any of it. But um, yeah, I didn't realise Kennedy sort of there was that view of of his game. I thought, uh, despite the fact he only kicked one goal late, I thought he played all right. We don't do him any favours at the minute because we're kicking to him and really expecting him to change direction suddenly and you know adjust very quickly. Keys touched on the, the Grimes goalkeeper sweeper roll out the back and we, I think we asked a lot of him. It was quite frustrating when we did get good breaks that seemingly that Kennedy would give a free kick away or the kick wouldn't be to his advantage and Richmond just waltz back out. But that is what they do. They exist to uh, you know force you into a long hacked kick down the line and then they'll just bring it back in. Um, so certainly an interesting chess match should these sides meet again. Miguel, I'll stay with you on this one. Let's talk about the weather because we've played Brisbane in the round one and it was pretty slick. It, I'm not sure if it rained or not, but it was certainly very humid and, and, and slick. Geelong, little bit of weather in that game and we obviously got touched up. The Port Adelaide game sticks out as a really bad one in the wet. Similarly, we've had some big wins in the wet this year and, and held up reasonably well, but the game, like you rightly identified earlier, it massively swung when the weather hit. So... What do we make of that as we go into finals, knowing that it's something you can't control and you've just got to be better than, really? I thought it swung before the weather hit. It, it seemed like the weather hit about half time. Um, the second quarter seemed to still be fairly dry and just Richmond got the game on their terms. So, yeah, earlier in the season, um, 
the weather certainly was a concern, and you know the Geelong game and the Brisbane game all, and Port Adelaide all came in that period. Um, since probably just before the bye, we've had a pretty good run in the wet. I think the game I can remember most is the Derby, um, obviously against uh, slightly less quality opposition, but uh, we seem to have turned the corner with that. And in that last quarter, we probably just outmatched um, Richmond, or certainly in the last probably 20 minutes, um, and we were able to, to kick a few goals in the wet. So... Yeah, I didn't think uh, the weather played into Richmond's hands a little bit because it aids you know, their style of game a lot more than ours. But um, I thought we were able to deal with that reasonably well. It was really that second quarter, and I suppose the third as well, when the weather had come, that yeah, we really struggled. But yeah, I, I, I didn't think the weather had a huge impact. I think it was you know, Richmond outplayed us for, for a long period of the game. Keys, you talked earlier about an unwillingness to man up Grimes in that goalkeeping role. There was another unwillingness on the day that frustrated a lot of people on the Eagles board and, and certainly just watching the game and seeing a guy like Dustin Martin obviously needs no introduction and he's just torn us up. Now, he's a star player. He's capable of doing that. But all throughout the week, it was built that we'd have this Yo-Martin matchup that we've seen in the past. And they cross paths a little. But for me, I really feel like Yo wasn't doing a hard tag on him at all and wasn't even really going head-to-head. Shuey spent time on him. Uh, Redden spent time on him. Rioli was standing next to him at a few centre bounces, which I found interesting. So what do you make of the decision to not tag or perhaps more visibly put a, a negating role against Martin? Yeah, look, I think we, for whatever reason, we seem to just let him go, which was a bit of a surprise. I think, you know, uh, Yo was getting his share of it. I guess. Um, so whether Simpson thought, well, we, we'll leave it as that because we're getting an even break, I don't know. But I think Martin was probably the best player on the ground. So, yeah, I, that we didn't put any time into him specifically is a bit of a surprise. Maybe, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's that thing where Simpson has looked at it and thought, well, we're going we're gonna to run into him again later on this year and he's kept some of his powder dry. I don't know. But it was, yeah... Definitely a curious decision just to um, let him go like that on a day where, you know, I think I, I think from the stats, I think we were actually winning the clearances. But it was the work, you know, they commentary seemed to, Gary Lyon in particular, seemed to enjoy pointing out the uh, post-clearance contested possessions or whatever and, and how that's where Richmond were getting us. And, you know, probably that was right, and the fact that we just couldn't get the ball cleanly out of the fence. So maybe that was that was it. That, that Simpson was thought, well, whilst we're winning the clearances, we're not going to worry too much about Dusty. Yeah, I think we'll see. I think we'll see us do some different things uh, when we if when we play Richmond again. So let's talk about that concept of playing Richmond again because it is something that could feasibly happen. Like I said, a touted as a grand final preview coming into last week. So, Miguel, if we were to run into Richmond again, what changes would you expect to see made, maybe away from personnel changes, but I mean tactical, philosophical changes? How do you think the Eagles would prepare to come and play Richmond again, knowing now what we know? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, the, the obvious thing is what we do with Dusty, and I'm not sure there's an easy answer for that. Uh, it did seem like they'd sort of decided, well, you know, Hutchings is our tagger. He's probably not going to be able to match Martin for for strength around the ground, so you know strength and size. So we can't tag him. So let's just not bother. 
know, whether we do try and you know, use Nelson to tag him or give Yo a bit more of a um, a minding role as opposed to just being in the same vicinity as him. That that has worked in the past um, with guys like you know, guys of similar build. So you know, Fife and Bontempelli. So maybe we do that. Um, real question about what we do about Grimes and Daniel Kerr on the Coast to Coast podcast um, said, you know, he he would be quite reluctant to man up a player who was as deep as Grimes because it sort of it, it takes a player out of our forward line. Oh, sorry, it takes a player out of our sort of out of our clearance and parks them deep forward and sort of takes them out of the play a bit. Um, so I can see the reasoning there, but yeah, Grimes, particularly in that second half when the rain did come, he was just controlling everything. So we yeah we need to look at that as well. We um we, we were quite good at winning the clearances, but then yeah not maintaining possession of the ball, um, particularly after that blitz in the first quarter. So that needs to be more of a focus, I think, on maintaining possession once we win possession because, yeah, we're, as you guys said, when we turned the ball over, Richmond were just dominating us uh, in winning it back and uh, and then we struggled to hold up the damn wall as they were you know, attacking and struggled to cope with the pressure that their forwards were putting on as well. So, yeah, it's certainly a bit to look at, but I think they're the main things, um, yeah, what we do with Dusty and what we do with Grimes. I think on the Grimes one, and this is so easy to say, sitting on your couch on Sunday morning on the other side of the country in the dry, but the reason that there's so much success with what they do with Grimes or whoever is playing that spare sweeping role is because there is that frenetic pressure on the ball. So you see kicks that are tailor-made to be intercepted or cut off or in some way you know, shepherded to the boundary line. Not effective kicks is what I'm driving at because of all the pressure on the ball on the half-back line. The few times that the Eagles were able to get possession and link up handballs a few times, run it from the back 50 to just inside the centre square, well, that, that's where we got all of our production from. And a few times, it's the way it is with Richmond, if you break through that first line of players, you can get a chip kick into the centre circle and suddenly you've got a guy you know, standing there in, in acres of space not knowing how he got in so much space because you've broken through that first wall. So I think... As easy as it is to say, and as it would be obviously a lot more difficult to put into practice, I think the way you take Grimes out of the equation is not by dealing with Grimes, but it's by dealing with what's happening further up the field. But much easier said than done, and obviously a system that Richmond have used very successfully for years now. Keys, before we move away from the Richmond game, do you have any parting thoughts? Yeah, I was just going to touch on what you sort of said, we're saying there about with Grimes, and I think it's where, I think it's probably why the rain has such an influence when it does come in that it does take away our kick mark, which that's as much as wet weather could be seen as our kryptonite, the kick mark is Richmond's. And I think if you can use the ball and spot up targets and and work your way through without those blind kicks or hack kicks, as you say, forward, uh, it exposes them because, you know, again, another line, you know, Gary Lyon favourite to point out is how McGovern doesn't respect his opponent and just lets them go. Well, I don't think Grimes is showing too much respect to his opponent, just sitting back the way he is. If you can get that ball and you can clean use the ball cleanly through the between the arcs, as you say, Grimes then becomes or he becomes a witch's hat and watching guys running past him into into acres of space. So it's, it's fixing up that disposal through the middle part of the ground, and that's where I think, you know, if we get them on a dry day in September, yeah, I'm going to be a bit more confident about how we go about beating them. 
Moving on to a bit of news, and while it has been a great season on the field for the West Coast Eagles, off the field, I am sad to say it's been quite a difficult year, I think, for me personally and for a lot of the people on the Eagles board because we have lost not one but now two of our favourite coaches on the Eagles board. First, Brad Scott was sacked earlier in the year and then now, yesterday, somewhat surprisingly, with one week left in the season, the Fremantle Dockers have killed all of our best content and sacked Ross Lyon. It's been a fun ride. It's been an interesting ride. The Eagles obviously just dominating the Dockers over the last few years and, and they're much touted, not quite a rebuild, but a re-stump and re-plum is just going terribly. So for, for myself, I'm a bit sad to see Ross go because I really think he was holding that club back. Uh, Miguel, as I said, timing's a bit strange and the impact might not be felt for a little while as it relates to the Eagles. But what do you think you're going to miss most about the now ex-Fremantle head coach? Yeah, timing was a bit strange. Um, not really a surprise to see him not coaching Fremantle next year. I thought that was always on the cards. But, yeah, just a surprise at the way it happens. Um, just some of his – he really was a sort of Mick Malthouse light in some of his press conferences. He, uh, uh, he liked pulling out the strange sayings and he'd just go on these rants and you know, you'd never really know where his train of thought was going. Um, that's probably what I'll miss most. And, yeah, also, as you said, the, the fact that he, uh, he did seem to be holding Fremantle back quite adeptly. That'll be missed. Um, I have heard Brad Scott's name mentioned in connection with that oh, um, role. Wouldn't that be fantastic, wouldn't it? I Brad would, Scott at Fremantle. I would actually have to just, I, wherever the servers are held for big footy, like put them on high alert because I would just be going ballistic that day. If Brad Scott becomes the Fremantle coach, there is nothing you can do to stop me on, on the day that is announced. I will just be off. That would be phenomenal news. Uh, Keys for you, your thoughts on, well, one, the decision, and two, perhaps how it'll impact this West Coast Fremantle rivalry or certainly how it'll affect the derbies? Yeah, I, in some, I, I was surprised that it came when it did. I, I was sort of fairly adamant that they'd, they'd not take the financial hit and pay him out a year shy of his contract. And without wanting to get too pro-Fremantle, I thought they'd actually shown... Uh, some signs of improvement and some movement in the right direction over the course of the season. So a little bit surprised. In the wash-up, perhaps less so in that, you know, apparently you know they were fairly clear that they weren't going to extend him past 2020, which I can understand. Um, I think his time, his coaching method, if you like, I think as the game's moved past that, I think he's, he's out of date as a... As a coach, when you look at what's happening in, uh, across the league, he's an old-style coach. And how much weight you put on some of the rumours, but sounds like he's quite disruptive influence within the, the confines of the club, which, you know, he's a pretty prickly personality. You can see that coming across in the media. And as much as our purple friends like to whinge about how the media sort of jump online and things like that, I've heard more than one media person say how difficult Fremantle in general and mine in particular are to deal with. So I can understand how he might get people up the wrong way. So, yeah, it's a bit of a shame. I think uh, his game plan was thoroughly unsuited to beating us under under Simpson. And I think Simpson holds a, a 10-2 record now, if I'm not mistaken, against Lions, maybe 9-3. 9-3, I think it is. Those three being the first three times Simpson went up against him uh, at a time when 
Fremantle were close to the peak of their powers. So, yeah, shame to see him go. A little bit concerned that maybe Fremantle might be coming borderline competent, which is never a good thing. So, yeah, saying uh, Ross and hopefully they pick someone equally incompetent like Brad Scott and not someone useful like um, Justin Longmuir. So on that, on the replacement, we've got a question from Dazzler Tan. Miguel, I'll start with you on this one. Putting back a bit more of an eagle spin to it, I suppose, how would you feel if Peter Sumich were to be named Fremantle's new coach? Oh, there's been enough water under the bridge now since Sumich left us that um, that I would, yeah, I'd be okay with that. You know, he's he's had a very very long wait for a senior coaching position, uh, and you, if he was to get that one, you wouldn't begrudge him at all. I don't think. I did hear a, I did hear a rumor that um, Worsfold was going to shift across. Mm, That'd right. be a lot more difficult to take, I think, yeah. um, the side of Worsfold in a purple polo. But yeah, Sumich. I mean, he, he was at the club, um, was at Fremantle for quite a while anyway. So yeah, I, I don't think it'll happen. But yeah, certainly wouldn't begrudge him if it did. Keys, your thoughts? I'd um, I'd be pleased for Sumich. I think he's sort of been around the periphery of um, getting a, a head coaching position for for a while. He seems to have been in the outer. I've not ever quite understood why he perhaps hasn't got more opportunities than or a, an opportunity before now. So I'd be pleased for him. The Frio board would be a good place to visit if Simich is appointed, judging from my reading of the board in the last day or so. There's uh, a significant portion of posters on the Fremantle board that would have some sort of seizure if Sumich was appointed. So that would be fun to, to sit back and watch. But as Miguel sort of said at the end of his comments there, and I, I don't think it's going to happen. I think part of the reasoning behind sacking Lyon was membership. And I think whilst there'd be a group of supporters at Fremantle that would be really pleased to see Sumich appointed and would jump on, there would be an equal percentage that would be uh, annoyed about it, given the way that Simich left the club on on not so great terms. Albeit that I think the, the issues were more with Lyon than the than the club. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he if he is interviewed and uh, how that plays out. Let's return things all the way back to the good guys. We'll talk about the Eagles from here on in, I promise. And we'll start with some injury news. Uh, A quiet week on the injury front, given where we are in the season and given the interest in Nick Natanui. The club put out its injury report a day late, which was interesting. Uh, No Nick Nat update, which was even more interesting. So the big one as it relates to our finals campaign is, of course, Mark Hutchings. Unfortunately, uh, re-injured the hamstring. He's listed as three weeks, so... A bit of pressure on him now to make his return, not only to start the finals, which you'd almost say is, is you'd almost rule it out. You'd say it's very unlikely, but even return this season, he'd, he'd really want to be, uh, you know, ticking all the boxes and getting things back on track to put his hand up to return for a potential semi-final, a potential prelim final, or even a grand final. Uh, just running through the injury list as well, Jared Brander with the hamstring has been confirmed as season over. Dan Venables still season over, of course, with the concussion. Luke Foley is listed as a test, so he could be making his way back into the Beagles squad, as could Beagles captain Fraser McInnes with a quad injury. Uh, Brady Reak is listed as a test with a stress fracture. And Josh Smith, one to two weeks with the hamstring. Now, Miguel, the name that I left out on that list is Nick Natanui. 
ankle indefinite. It's a familiar story. I think I saw you say today that he's been listed as indefinite for 18 weeks this season or something like that. So what's your take on him still being listed as indefinite and certainly a quiet week on the Nick Nat injury news front? Yeah, he didn't train on um, on Monday at the open training. I was down there for a little bit and he wasn't out anyway. Um, I haven't, there wasn't sort of much in the way of reports uh, from open training this week because there was stuff going on on the other side of town at the same time, um, which I think had the, the footy media industry's attention. Yeah, it's looking, I think, less likely now. I mean, it was all great news um, last week when he was running again, but yeah, just the fact that we've had no news I don't know. I'm not surprised. I, I think regardless of whether he was going to play um, in the first round of finals or not, they'd still have him listed as, as indefinite because they just want to keep our opponents, whoever they are, guessing. But, yeah, just for me, the fact that he he didn't train at all and that there's been you know, nothing said has me thinking, yeah, maybe it's now less likely that he'll he'll actually suit up, which is unfortunate, but I suppose it also saves us from a bit of a selection dilemma. Um, and uh, the team that we put out there against Richmond, the 22 we put out there, showed they could match it. So if we don't have him for finals, we'll just have to make do. Part of me hears what you're saying because to have no report whatsoever is a little bit strange, but the other side of it is, I, I guess, what are they going to say? Yeah, he's still running. Like, I mean, he's 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 not going to be at full training for a little while, you wouldn't have thought, but if he started running last week and he returned to training, you know, a little sentence saying, oh, and by the way, Nick Nat's going fine, would have been appreciated, but I'm perhaps less willing to read too much into it than you at this stage. Um, although, yeah, it is obviously cutting it fine timelines-wise. Keys, your thoughts? What's We're currently two weeks away now from a potential return. Where are you at now with the Nick Nat, will he, won't he situation? Uh, I think no news is exactly that, no news. I don't think there's anything they could add. I think with Nat and Dewey, the club wants people guessing. They, they, it was telling last week when he trained and he trained really strongly and it got supporters up and about and the media sort of jumped on it and said, that, you know, there was a lot of vision and tweets of that new training and running and things like that. And in the press conference on the Thursday that Simpson usually does, he said, yeah, I was surprised he stayed out there that long. I was surprised on the day that he was out there so long simply because the club usually would play, and particularly with Nat and Nui, they tend to hide them away and they don't really show to the public what's going on. And I, I wouldn't be uh, surprised at the slightest if Simpsons just turned around and said, Oi, guys, just keep him indoors, keep him out of sight. We don't really want anyone knowing one way or the other because I, I think they just get tired of it and they just rather people just not know and just say, yeah, he might be back. They'll just keep him going as long as they can until the point where they say, you know, if if the ankle's not improving, they'll say, right, it's time for surgery and that's when we'll hear about it. Or we'll be told on the Thursday before his first game that saying Nick Nat's in the side. And that that's it. Until a, a definitive decision is made, we won't hear anything. It'll just be indefinite. And I don't think there's any point making assumptions one way or the other if he trains or doesn't train at all because they've got a 60-metre by 30-metre indoor hangar that no one can get inside of that he could be doing sprint work and everything like that inside of. And 
don't want outside the club is going to have any clue. Just on that, I'll tell you what I noticed um, when I went inside the um, the club rooms at open training on Monday. Um, the first time I went in, just at the around the back of the cafe, by the lift, there was this um, big glass pane, and you could see into the gym, and you could you, know, you could see everything that was going on in the gym. And I went in on Monday; uh, they frosted that glass, so you cannot see what's going on in there now. So yeah, obviously that's a, a bit of a security and privacy thing that they've picked up on. Back to back weeks with a big footy podcast exclusive. So you've heard it here first. Dick Natanui is behind that frosted glass. He's bench pressing trucks. He's ready to go. And we just don't know anything about it until the club wants us to. So another good exclusive. Thanks very much, Miguel. No, no, I tell you, he's not just behind the frosted glass. He's behind the, uh, the in the cryogenic chamber, just being he's frozen <laughs> and just being ready to thaw out for the finals. Well, just, just before we move off injuries... Just touching on Hutchings with three weeks. Yeah, if even if he's fit for finals, he's not going to. There's no. Probably by the time he's fit, the Beagles will be out, so they won't have any chance to get any match practice to push his claims for a spot. So I think he's. Uh, once he's fit, he'll be relying on injuries to get back in the side, given that if things go according to plan for us and we win the first week of finals, he won't be ready to play again until prelim final stage. Um, and even if we lose and in the semi, I still think he's probably not going to be right until probably in final week anyway. With that, we will move along to the Beagles and they are shaping quite nicely for the finals, interestingly enough. It looked a little bit far away a few weeks ago, but they're ticking the boxes and they've set up a pretty straightforward situation to make finals. Uh, their latest result last week, they defeated East Perth 4-11-35 to 1-5-11. There is really not a lot to read into this game. The weather was atrocious. Uh, it was pretty much just a bunch of blokes all going for a swim. The puddles were unbelievable. If you want to jump on the Eagles Facebook and check out the live stream video that, that will still be up. Uh, yeah, pretty remarkable game of footy. East Perth was scoreless to halftime. So in terms of the footy, not a lot to take out of it. Now, some of the key players, Chris Marston, 25 disposals, and he could be close to a recall this week. Uh, Archie had 20, and Liam Duggan had 19, and from all reports, got through unscathed. Not on the injury list. He's made his return now through the waffle, so potentially a return for Liam Duggan in the near future. Now, as I said, shaping up for the finals, it is the last week of the waffle regular season this weekend. The Beagles, interestingly, play Sunday whilst everybody else plays Saturday, so they will know what they have to do. And the equation is simple. It's as follows. If West Perth or Perth lose, a Beagles win sees them get in. Now, if they both lose, the Beagles could jump all the way up into fourth. Uh, They've got a great percentage compared to these two other sides. So West Perth play the second place South Fremantle at home. Perth, they travel to Peel to take on the Thunder, who are not too far off the finals race themselves. So two pretty tough games there for the opponents and for the Beagles. Sunday, 2.15pm, they play East Fremantle, who are third from the bottom. And that is a nice little home game at Mineral Resources Park. So... As I said, they will know the situation. There's no Eagles footy on the Sunday. Obviously, the Eagles play Saturday night. So come Sunday, 2.15pm, the Beagles may just need to win and they're in. So a good opportunity to get down and really rile up the uh, the crowd support there. Yeah, the other the, the other nice little bonus for us is because the game's on Sunday, all our players can play. We don't have to worry about holding an emergency over because we have played the... Um, the night prior so we'll have 
injuries aside, we'll have a full list to pick from for that game, which is important. And a, a fairly strong side with um, uh, McInnes, uh, Foley and Riak all coming back in this week. Yeah, it'll be a reasonably full-strength waffle um, side that we put out. Yeah, um, so yeah, it'd be probably like 18, 18 odd listed players, I imagine. So that's, that's uh, a good position to be in. So as we've touched on at the top, it is, of course, the last round of the season coming up. It's round 23. The Eagles play the Hawks at Optus Stadium. But before we get into that, let's take a look at the finals permutations because with one week to go, there is still plenty to play for and the Eagles still have a lot of opportunity to finish really anywhere in the top two, three, four, and even down to fifth. So the Eagles definitely need to win. That's the clearest, that, you know, we can say that for certain. An Eagles win sees them finish second or third. Now, there is a small chance that they could be caught on percentage even if they were to win, but as I said, it is that, a small chance. So Small chance we can get to top as well. Oh, that is true. Now, I will say, look, the outlier in all of this, or, or rather the option that I'm ignoring, is that Carlton would have beat Geelong in Geelong. If that happens, that throws a whole other series of quirks into the into the mix, and, and Keys, like you said, the Eagles could still finish as high as first, but let's assume that the Cats get the job done and they've got a very superior percentage at the minute. So we'll take them out of the equation and we'll just look at the Lions, we'll look at us, we'll look at Richmond and even Collingwood on the Friday night. So quite simply, if the Eagles win, they will finish second or third. Now they can finish second uh, by gaining some percentage and Brisbane losing. So if a big Richmond win and a big Eagles win may see the Eagles climb as high as second. Currently there's about 73 or so points splitting the two sides. So if the Eagles were to get on a big roll or indeed if, if Brisbane were to concede 73 to 0, uh, the Eagles would jump them on the ladder. So certainly that, that Sunday game is very important for the Eagles. Now, should the Eagles lose on Saturday night, they will finish third, fourth or even fifth. The way they finish third uh, is with a loss and a Richmond loss. The way they finish fourth is with a loss and a Richmond win. Uh, and as I said, even a win could see them finish fourth. But the, the situation we really need to be focused on here is fifth place. So for that to take place, the Eagles would need to lose, uh, Richmond would need to win, and Collingwood would need to beat Essendon on Friday night. Now, will no part of that equation come our game? But with the Richmond-Brisbane game being played on Sunday, the Eagles just really need to handle their business, do their job, and uh, yeah, really just, just close the door on anything outside of a top four finish. With that said, let's move along and look at the game. The Eagles, as I said, play the Hawks 6.10pm on Saturday night. Uh, it's the final game of the season. It's a must win, but it's, Miguel, a situation we're quite familiar with at this point. The Eagles of late have really needed to rely on round 23 results for something or another on the ladder, whether last year we had to beat Brisbane by a certain amount to come second. We've had to win some very clutch games against Adelaide to even make the finals or to stay in the top five, six before, you know, this is a side that have had a lot on the line late in the season and they've delivered in the past. So what do you think is going to happen? What sort of Eagles side are we going to see on Saturday night? Yeah, I did see a stat as well that um, in all four of our premiership seasons, we lost the penultimate game of the year, the home and away season, um, but won the, the final game of the season. So that's hopefully that bodes well. Yeah, I, my main concern with this game uh, is that the fact that we'll have heavy legs coming off, you know, a really tough slog. Um, it really felt like a, a grand final preview against Richmond. 
and you know coming back over here and playing on the Saturday night. So a short break, um, some really sore bodies. You know, there was a few guys who looked like they might have picked up injuries in the um, in the Richmond game that didn't appear on the injury list, which isn't altogether surprising. But you know, Darling caught a big hit early, and then he was a bit quiet after that, having sort of threatened to blow the game apart in the first 10 or 15 minutes. Um, Shepard caught, it looked, I thought he dislocated his kneecap or something. It looked shocking. But then he came back out and played out the game. But you know, he might be might be another one who's in doubt to, to get up. Um, Sheed, I didn't know what happened to him, but he seemed sore and, and playing in the forward line for a lot of the game and um, had a lot of time on the bench. So, yeah, there's, there's a few guys who might be in doubt. Uh, and yeah, just the, the sore bodies while Hawthorne was sort of you know, running around having a training drill against uh, a Gold Coast side that's basically packed up already, if they even unpacked to begin with. Uh, so that's that's my main concern is that yeah, we'll we'll just uh, struggle to match physically with Hawthorne given the short turnaround. Uh, we've certainly got a lot more to play for than they they do. Um, them not bringing Roughhead over, I think, is a bit of a bonus because. Now, even though he hasn't played much of the season, I, I think he makes them a better side when he's in there. Be a bit, uh, yeah, a bit of a concern, as you said. We just need to, to take care of our business and, and do what we need to do. Obviously, can't focus on the, the the players. At least I'm sure we'll all be focusing on it in the stands, but the players can't focus on the need to um, boost our percentage. They just need to get the four points and then uh, let the rest take care of itself. So just quickly on the Hawks, they can still make the eight. They would need to win and the Dogs would need to lose, which is, if you've watched the Dogs play lately, looking quite unlikely. But certainly they, they won't know the result of that game by the time we're playing. Obviously the Dogs playing on the Sunday. So the Hawks will still turn up with a fair bit to play for. Uh, now, Keys, we've played the Hawks earlier in the year. Somewhat similar game to Richmond, interestingly enough. A little bit damp at the MCG and it was quite a tussle at the end. But we saw a classic yo shoey fourth quarter and really... Uh, pulled us over the line towards the end. So are you expecting similar heroics will be needed on the weekend or what, what do you think we're going to see as we get ready for Saturday? I think the the start of the game, the, the first quarter, is probably going to dictate how this plays out. Um, as you say, Hawthorne are still a, an outside chance of making finals. Um, but the one thing they can control is they need to win. So they can hold us early and we don't get away from them early, I think it's going to be a grind because the longer Hawthorne are in it, the longer they're just going to fight it out, knowing full well that the, that the win keeps them in the hunt for finals. If we can get on top of them early and kick away, then I think we might be able to uh, roll out a bit of a flat track um, against the side that, you know, if we get to half time, say, five, six, seven goals up, there's a there's a possibility that Hawthorne could just turn their toes up and just go, well, our season's done. We're not getting back from here to win it and um, just dial in the second half. So uh, hopefully we can get hold of them early and snuff out their, their chances pretty quickly. If we don't do that, I think we're in for a fight right through for the four quarters because they'll um, they'll scrap. And, and you know Alison Clarkson will, will come over with a plan to to stifle us and will we'll probably tell his players, look, they, they will have the heavy legs. If we can stay close for three quarters, we're a chance to overrun them in the last. So the first quarter is probably going to be telling. 
The concern for me, knowing that we need some percentage to still potentially play a home final or to play home finals throughout the series, uh, is that Hawthorne concede the second lowest number of points per game in the competition, uh, trailing only the Cats. So they've only conceded over 100 twice. Both of those were very, very early in the season once in round two and once in round five. So since then, they've been really good at avoiding a blowout, even in their losses. Uh, So the Eagles would really want to get on track early if they are going to kick away from the Hawks. But look, it's funny. We we pretty much know what the Eagles are at this point. And as I say, we've played the Hawks before. There's a little bit of continuity from that uh, that side that we played in round 15. So let's just get into our changes. Now, Hutchings obviously has to come out with the injury and Schofield, which we didn't touch on uh, in the Richmond game, was a late out for Rotham. So there's a few guys that have been familiar to us that weren't playing on the weekend and, and you know, a few changes that may need to be made. So, Miguel, we'll start with you. Who's coming in and who's going out this weekend? Uh, I'll start with Hutchings because I think that's the simplest one. Um, Maston's the obvious replacement for him. Um, Hutchings did seem to me to be playing Maston's role the commentators were saying they thought he was tagging Lambert, but I don't, yeah, I don't know whether that was just a tag or the fact that you know, Lambert was playing on, uh, you know, on the outer wing as well. And they were lined up together. It seems like an odd decision to tag for Hutchings to tag Lambert. So, um, yeah, I think just bring Maston in. It, it robs us of that tagging option. If we did want to play a tagger, we'd have to you know, swing Nelson into the middle and, and make some adjustments. But uh, yeah, I think that's, that's just the obvious one. Maston a little bit unlucky to, to lose his spot in the first place. And, um, yeah, with Hutchings out again, I, I think that's a pretty simple decision to just bring him back in. Um, in the back line, uh, Duggan, I think, needs a run before the finals um, at AFL level. Uh, Rotham, uh, despite having a, a pretty good game and doing literally nothing wrong, and you know, we're very few people in the back line who you could say that about, um, I, I think he misses out. Unfortunately, he's just um, as good as he's been. He's probably not in our best twenty-two for the the finals. So, yeah, we we need to start you know, getting that back line back together. So, Duggan for Rotham, Schofield. Yeah, unlucky to miss out, and was really surprised when he missed out because I thought he would be a, a, a perfect matchup for Tom Lynch in that game. And Barris did struggle against Lynch, I thought, but um, Schofield with Roth with uh, Rotham with uh, Roughhead not playing. I'm struggling to see a matchup for Schofield, maybe Mitch Lewis. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't bring him back in unless, as I said before, Shepard doesn't get up. Uh, and the other one is, you know, Jared Cameron's still thereabouts. Unlucky to lose his spot as well. Um, Petrocelli, I thought, had a, a really quiet game after quarter time. He just he, you know, was barely sighted at all. He did have a good first quarter, um, as did most of the team. But uh, yeah, went missing after that. And I'm not convinced about him. Uh, and so, yeah, I'd bring Cameron back in for him. So I've got three changes there, possibly four if Shepard misses. Waterman's an interesting one. I, I do like him in the team. He kicked an important goal. He bloody drilled yeah. an important goal. I had no yeah, confidence yeah. whatsoever when he shaped to kick that. And then the goal umpire started running, and I was like, okay, here we go. Here we go, yeah. And he bloody drilled it. The kid knows his way yep. around the goals. Yeah, um, and I, I think he's important, uh, his running power and... Um, his ability to um, take a little bit of the focus off Darling and Kennedy uh, is quite good. And I think Asterix was talking a week or two ago about the fact that Darling plays better when Waterman's in the team. So I, particularly if it's going to be a dry day, I'd leave him in. Uh, so, yeah, so what did I have? Uh, Maston for Hutchings, Duggan for Rotham, Cameron for Petrocelli. 
uh, and Scoey on standby for Shepard. Very good. Similar changes from me. Masson for Hutchings, Duggan for Rotham. Now, Cameron for Petrocelli, I'm happy with if it were to eventuate. Uh, and the other one, like you said, Schofield. I, Nelson has done nothing wrong, and I don't think there's a matchup for Schofield, so maybe this isn't the week. But at some point, I think Schofield has to come back into this side for us to play finals and just take a bit of pressure off Barras. It frees up McGovern to have less responsibility in a true one-on-one defensive setup. So I think as we get towards finals, maybe you pick your finals team this week, or maybe you pick for the round 23 game you're about to play. But if Schofield were to come in, I would not be disappointed at all. Keys, your thoughts on the changes this week? Yeah, I think um, Simpson said in the post-game press, press conference that when asked, he said Schofield was left out for strategic purposes because of the weather. So on that basis, given that it sounds like it's going to be a dry night, certainly not going to be raining, uh, Schofield comes back in. So who replaces Rotham? Duggan comes back in for Nelson. That gives us our... Our best back seven, you know, Rotham and Nelson are unlucky, but that's the way it goes. If there's a, you know, a lingering issue with Shepherd, well then maybe uh, one of those two guys gets a reprieve. Probably Nelson. Yeah, Mas- Maston seems the most logical replacement for Hutchings. Cameron for Petricelli. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, I'm, I'm not bust either way. I don't think there's a significant difference between. Either of those two guys, they've got, they've both got speed. They both can kick their goal. Cameron's pressure is probably a little bit better than Petrocelli's, but yeah, I don't think there's much of a much just between those two. I think, yeah, winning or losing is not going to depend on whether we play Cameron or Petrocelli. In back of my mind, there's a there's an idea that we we play both those two boys and leave Waterman out and just try and kill both one another quick, not a quick side. We just go all-out pace in the in the forward half and just try and blitz Hawthorne. I don't know. I, I doubt that'll happen. I think Waterman's been doing well enough to keep his spot. So I think um, Schofield, Duggan and Maston in for Rotham, Nelson and Hutchings and possibly Cameron for Pedge. Yeah, we've got to get what we think is our our best 22 for finals into this game. So whatever, whatever make-up the match committee think is our best 22. That's who we've got to get out there on um, Friday night. Right, let's just do the prediction. We know the equation. We know that we have to win, and if we want to host finals, we have to win significantly. So, Miguel, I'll start with you. Is that going to happen on the weekend, and which eagle is going to stand out as we make this charge towards what is hopefully a top-two finish? I think we'll get the job done. I don't think we'll get... I like Keyes' idea of blowing them out early and Hawthorne rolling over and, and um, turning up their toes, uh, to mix a metaphor. But uh, I, I think they'll fight until the end. Um, so, But I'll pick us by, say, 24 points. And I'll back um, Luke Shuey to turn around what was, I thought, a, a pretty poor game from him. And, yeah, he's, uh, he's a finals player. Uh, he's a big game player. Uh, yeah, lowered his colours on a on a big stage last week, and he'll he'll turn that around with finals around the corner. Keys, your thoughts about how the weekend plays out? Yeah, as much as I'd like us to um, blow Hawthorne off the park early and and have us have a have a big win, I, I, I respect Hawthorne too much as a club to think that that's what they're going to do. So they'll fight. I think we'll win though, probably by about eighteen points, simply because. It's at home, and we're a better side. And I think uh, 
we're not going to have an off night. We're going to turn up as well. So I think we win. I am kind of glad that Ruckhead isn't playing because I was starting to have flashbacks of 2007 with Scott mm. Lucas playing his last game and kicking seven goals in the last quarter yep. to um, wipe off percentage and drop us from second to third, which was um, rather significant the way that season played out. So I am glad that Ruckhead's not playing because if we were nine goals up at three-quarter time with Ruckhead in the side, I'd be nervous. Um, but yeah, us by 18 points and in a similar vein to what Miguel said, I'm going back Barras to um, to redeem himself and come out and have a really big game. For myself, I am going to say that the Eagles are going to win. We will win by 29 points and that might not be a lot on the night. It might be a bit doom and gloom on the board and, oh well, top four I guess, but we won't come second. But looking at Brisbane, they don't play at the G a lot. They only played there once this year. They lost in round four to Essendon by 47 points. Obviously very different sides, but they played Richmond there last year and lost by 93 points. They haven't won there since 2014. Obviously, like I said, Brisbane have changed significantly in that time. So it's not the same proposition, but it is an unfamiliar venue for them. And it's perhaps, you know, the Tigers have plenty to play for. The Tigers could still finish second. So... I think we will win by about 29 points and we will sneak into second. Thank you very much, Richmond. Thanks to the Richmond Tigers who are going to do a job on Brisbane on Sunday. Now, moving back to Saturday, best player for us, Jack Darling. He kicked five last time we played the Hawks. Like Miguel said, he threatened to tear that Richmond game apart in the opening quarter. He's clunking big marks around the ground, so going to back him in to finish strong. And while he may not win the Coleman this year, he certainly can throw his hat uh, in the ring for, for a podium finish. So... Let's say Jack Darling has a big weekend. Question time before we finish things up in this round 23 preview. And we have a question here from 06 Premiers and it relates to basically the farcical administration of the AFL. So let's just dive into it. 06 Premiers asks, what was the biggest farce of the week? Option one, Stevenson from Collingwood conveniently uh, having his suspension end the day after Collingwood's last home and away game, so he can play VFL this weekend. He's been banned for 10 weeks. Uh, Collingwood play Friday night, and the AFL have ticked off him playing VFL on Saturday. So that's option one. Option two, Jack Rewalt having a big sook that you can't kick a man in the spine anymore, apparently. And then the AFL going, yeah, fair enough, Jack, and changing the rule the following day. That's option two. Option three, Bontempelli hitting a bloke in the throat. He's got a fractured larynx. Uh, but the full medical report, it was not available when the MRO made their decision, so the Bont is free to play. That's option three. Option four that 06 Premiers here has put is Frio sacking Ross Lyon. We've already covered that, so I'll replace it with a new option four, and that is that the AFL are implementing a score bunker for only two of the final games of the season with the view to then implement it in finals. So of those four options, uh, Keys, I'll start with you. Do any particular one of those stand out as more farcical than the rest? It's a really strong field, isn't it? Where um, it's Wednesday. It is Wednesday. How with <laughs> with three days into the week, into the final week of the season, have they come up with all of these thus far? This is a professional, elite, multi-billion-dollar sporting league, isn't it? That's what it says on the website, but far out. Yeah. So, keys, yeah. have a have a pick. I, See which one you I, like. I mean, if, you, if I, I, it's hard to. I mean, any one of those three in isolation is a monumental cup. To have all three of them in a space of two days is just mind-boggling. Um, I'm going to go 
I'm going to go with one, the Jaden Stevenson one, because Pontempelli, the suspension, to be brutally honest, that actually isn't surprising because the the MRO and tribunal system has been farcical all year. So that's just another in a long list of stupid decisions. The rule change, yeah, that that's pretty bad. But you taught number one, it would be probably five people in Australia that thought a 10-match suspension expires the minute after Collingwood played their 10th game. In the entire history of the AFL slash VFL, a 10-match suspension is 10 weeks, and you don't play that round. I mean, you used to have it in the old days of State of Origin. If you got a, a suspension playing for your club the week before State of Origin, you could not play State of Origin, and then you couldn't play the week after for your club. It doesn't make any sense and you're talking about a guy being allowed to play on a, on a Saturday in the VFL simply because his AFL club plays on a Friday night. If Collingwood is scheduled on Saturday night, he doesn't get to play. That's how ridiculous it is. Yeah, and you're setting yourself up for the situation wherein now some people have argued that there's you know differences in the wording, 10 games versus 10 weeks. But if you get done for striking, you punch a bloke in the head and you get a week, and your team plays on Thursday night and then your Waffle Club plays on Sunday, can you play? Of course you can't play. That's never been the case. That has never existed. Uh, the example I used was we played Essendon on a Thursday night and Rioli missed through suspension. Why didn't Rioli play Waffle that week? Like, it doesn't... It, it's such a policy on the run. In fact, that, that has this whole week has been policy on the run, but it is such a baffling thing. And that's before you even look at the fact that a guy betting on one-third of his club's games was given a 10-game suspension. Because right, and it's and the split between ten games with twelve suspended was arbitrary as well, and, and and conveniently allowed him to come back for week one of finals. Yeah, and it's twelve suspended. So if he does it again, he'll definitely get those twelves, mate. If he does it again, he's getting a life ban anyway. So who who cares about suspended sentences anyway? Keys, your vote is number one in a very strong field. Miguel, any of those stand out for you as more farcical than the rest? Yeah, I was going to go for all of the above. Um, <laughs> yeah, the Stevenson one, I think, for all the reasons you guys have said, it particularly um, sticks in the craw. Uh, yeah, the, the Rewalt one I just found amazing, given that, uh, what was it, a week ago, two weeks ago, that the AFL said they were going to have a 12-month moratorium on any rule changes. That lasted about a week. Although they, they, they'll, of course, say this isn't a rule change, it's an interpretation change. And, yeah, the the bunker is one that's sort of, I think, fallen by the wayside a bit just in with all the other news. But, um, yeah, the fact that they're instituting all these changes to how we score games a week before finals and for a couple of games before finals just to trial them is ridiculous. Really, the time to do it is you know, to uh, run the bunker during NAB Cup or or something and uh, and bring it in for round one next year. But is the score review system that stuffed that it's not going to work for finals the way it is now? I I think it, it, the score review system is that stuffed. I don't see how a bunker fixes it. Well, that's I, I don't think with the score review, I don't think are tied to there being a bunker. It's what, they, what they're doing it on. I, I just don't see how a bunker solves the problems they've been having with the score review anyway. Well, I think a lot of the issue is the, the personnel that they've got to do it. So if they've got a bunker, then they've got, you know... So you've got... Pre- presumably someone more more senior. Idiot, 
instead of one idiot in one spot, you've got a collection of idiots in a bunker. It's. Yeah. I, I well, have you see... if if you've got you know someone who's high up in the AFL umpiring department or something running it, then I don't know. I think the issue if they if they get the right personnel in the bunker, then it could be a good change. But just bringing it in um, in round twenty three in two games and then to have it running during finals is is ridiculous. And for those two games to be games that uh, one of the games is between two sides that are currently in the top four. So what you know, if you're going to trial it, at the very least, trial it in quote unquote irrelevant games. And anyway, it's uh, yeah, the AFL's history of just instituting things with no forethought whatsoever is is really on display. So uh, all of the above slash the bunker. Uh, for me, I will pick the Rewalt having a big sook. Uh, not only because it's farcical that the rules change on the fly like they do, but yeah, you, you get to have a cry on Sunday, but. I mean, he did have a bad game on the weekend, to be fair, but Tom Barras is getting a little cuddle at every single marking contest. Lewis Jetta got bumped into the bloody fourth row on the weekend in a marking contest. Seems to be open season on Eagles defenders when you're trying to block behind play. And I know Simo raised it because he discussed that he raised it. He was quite open about it. And uh, radio silence, nothing. So Rewalt, he's on AFL 360 every week and he gets a 24-hour turnaround. It's quite fascinating to see the, uh, the distinction in AFL rulemaking and decision-making. Quite, quite farcical indeed. <laughs> Anyway, that is enough ranting from us. That will do it from us this week. Uh, as we've all said, it's the final round of the season, but there is plenty to unpack next week. So we will talk to you this time next week to recap all of the hopefully good news and preview things as we head to finals. But in the meantime, we look forward to the Hawks game on the weekend. And Keys, thanks very much for coming on to discuss it. Yeah, not a problem. I just, uh, just one final sign-off. The game on Sunday between Richmond and Brisbane, aside from the result of that game contributing to our final ladder position. I'm going to be really interested because I've, I have a view that there's a there's a gap between us and Richmond and Geelong and Brisbane in terms of stock. We saw Geelong and Brisbane play a really good game on the Saturday, really close fought game, and I think Richmond and West Coast ramped it up a notch a day later that game will give a bit of an indication as to whether or not my view is correct, that if Richmond get hold of Brisbane, I think there's you can then draw the conclusion there's there's a fair bit of daylight between those four clubs, between Richmond and Brisbane, Richmond and West Coast and Geelong and Brisbane, which then gives me confidence if we have to go travel to either the MCG to play Geelong or the Gabba to play Brisbane, that we can um, get a week one win on the road. Other than that, see you. Yeah, hopefully it won't come to that as the Eagles are going to put in the work this weekend and finish second anyway and just host finals at Optus the whole way through. But we will cross that bridge when we get there. Miguel, thanks very much for coming on to discuss round 23. No worries. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's going to be uh, an absolutely massive weekend. Um, Yeah, I I think I'll be glued to the TV with the times um, throughout the weekend when I'm not either at Optus or at Lathlone. So, yeah, it's going to be um, going to be fantastic, fantastic for footy lovers and terrible for their loved ones. <laughs> That's it. Well, that is it from us this week. And thank you, as always, for listening. If you have any questions, any comments, or if you want to leave a review, feel free to do so in the thread or on iTunes or however you're accessing the podcast. That would be really appreciated. But until next week... All the best for the Eagles, all the best for the Beagles, and we will talk to you soon. Bye now. Cheers, guys. Bye.